groups will be meeting digitally much like this. Um, we're going to try to stay consistent with not organizing any official uh, physical meetups. Uh, and so even in our small groups, we're going to have people meeting uh, online and, uh, and we'll distribute digital content. Third is that uh, for those of you who are planning on giving offering, it would take too long to send a person with a basket around to your houses. And so we're just going to ask you to give online at SaveYourCommunity.com. There should be a link you can electronically give. Okay. Uh, that being said, I want to open this up in a word of prayer and then we'll get into the word. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you. And it's a huge privilege that we can do this. Uh, thank you so much for the resources, the uh, technology, the training, the expertise of the people that have volunteered to put something like this together. Uh, we are so grateful that in this moment, we're able to worship together uh, online, not just with Savior Community Church, but with those out in other spaces that uh, don't normally come within our four walls, uh, people out in different countries, people out uh, in, in different cities and counties uh, that, are, that are tuning in. We pray, Lord, that, uh, that we'd be reminded again and again that uh, everyone who trusts in Jesus is part of one church. And so bless this time and help us to, uh, to gain from your word, not in, in just uh, head knowledge, but to be uh, challenged and convicted and transformed in the heart. Thank you. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. All right, well, good morning. It's uh, March 15th, 2020, and uh, welcome to Savior Community Church's uh, first live streaming worship service. Uh, to state the obvious, uh, I, I wish it'd be, uh, we could have this feature every week. It'd be great if we could. Uh, that's just at this moment not possible at our current location. But the reason why we're doing this right now and we're able to do this right now is because we're streaming from home. Uh, and we're doing that due to the increasingly cautious measures that our communities are taking in order to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, Many schools, businesses, churches have stopped gathering and they've decided to use a digital alternative like we are. Supermarkets have run out of hand sanitizers and paper towels and water bottles. Uh, people are hoarding up supplies like it's some kind of an apocalypse. Um, we're hearing reports of people fighting in the aisles and, and, uh, and you know there's uh, a lot of racism that's starting to sprout up in conversations. Uh, and, and it's weird because the, the virus isn't as deadly as some of the ones in the past. Uh, if, if we take a, a quick cursory glance at just kind of the history of, of some of the big uh, sicknesses that have been around in just the recent past, uh, the 1918 Spanish flu, uh, that epidemic infected a third of the world population with a 2% mortality rate. And uh, most, uh, most of the affected people were healthy adults, um, ages 20 to 40. Every year we get the seasonal flu. And, uh, and that affects about a billion people every year. And it, uh, and it mostly is, uh, or is the most dangerous for, uh, for the elderly and people with compromised immune systems. In 2002, there was a coronavirus called SARS. And uh, that, that stood for uh, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Um, that affected about 8,100 people. And has a, it had a 15% uh, mortality rate. And it was, uh, it was most dangerous for people uh, above the age of 60. In 2009, we had a flu pandemic called H1N1. 
and that affected 60 million people, and this was the most dangerous for children more than adults. Even senior citizens were a little more resistant to this than young children. In 2014, there was the Ebola virus that affected over 28,000 people. It had a 50% mortality rate. Uh, children were the most affected by this too. Right now we've got the coronavirus COVID-19 and, uh, and that's why we're doing the live stream and I just wanted to tackle this subject head on. I didn't want to talk about uh, our, our next series or I didn't want to get into just a, a regular uh, sermon as if everything were going on uh, without incident. I wanted to just take a moment to address the situation at hand and to remind us uh, where, where we're at as God's people. It's, uh, it's 2020, and this COVID-19 uh, coronavirus started in 2019, just a, a few months ago. So far, uh, as of yesterday, the, the statistic that I saw was that there are over 127,000 cases. The mortality rate is hard to, uh, to pinpoint, and the reason why is because uh, most people don't know that they have the, the virus at all. It's, uh, they're either asymptomatic, where they're not showing any signs, uh, or the signs are extremely mild. The, uh, the coronavirus that we're dealing with is a mild flu. Uh, and uh, even those who, who think that they might have it don't report it. They don't, they don't go into you know, to a building and uh, get tested and then report it. And so uh, it's really difficult to say how many cases there actually are. However, um, the estimate right now, based on, on the numbers that have come in, put the generous estimate at a mortality rate of 3.4%, meaning that that's, a, that's the percentage of people that actually uh, pass away because of this disease. But if we, were to, if we were to try to take into account everyone that ought to be reporting in, uh, we look at areas where uh, large portions of the population are affected, and then we look at the mortality rate there, and the mortality rate looks more like 0.4%. So the, the data that are coming in seem to indicate that the coronavirus is not as severe as we, we might have thought it was. Um, it's, a, it's a mild flu virus, but it's more contagious. That's, that's kind of the, uh, the thing that's going around, that uh, we're being careful because of how fast it spreads. Uh, our concern really is for the people that are age 65 and up. It's for the elderly citizens, uh, particularly those with underlying health conditions, because they're the ones most at risk. Um, the demographic at Savior Community Church happens to be people in their 20s to 40. And uh, between 20 to 40, the, that's, uh, that's an extremely resilient age demographic. Um, plenty of people are being affected by it in this age group. Um, but the mortality rate is very small there. Now, I'm not pointing that out to say that, oh, if it's not going to kill us, then we, uh, then we have nothing to be afraid of. That's not uh, what I'm trying to say. I'm just uh, trying to lay out a, a realistic uh, understanding of, of how dangerous this, this virus is so that we can kind of get our, our focus on, uh, on responding appropriately. Uh, the reason for the quarantines and the reason for canceling our physical gatherings and stuff, the reason why the government and businesses schools, workplaces, and, uh, and such, and churches are doing this, is really out of caution. It's not because we think we're all going to die from this. It's because we don't want someone who's carrying it to come meet with a bunch of other people in the congregation, shake hands and hug each other, and then hand that to a bunch of other people, and then have them go out and go visit their, their grandma or their grandpa, and then, uh, and then pass it on to someone who's a little more vulnerable. 
So it's really a precaution uh, more than it is a fear of lethal danger. Um, it's it's about uh, being responsible and loving our neighbor by not by not carrying a, a disease that we know is highly uh, highly probable of, of being transmitted. Uh, we basically have to isolate ourselves and uh, you know people are asking how long is this going to last? Uh, either it's until all the cases are identified and then people recover. Uh, when you recover from this, then you build up an immunity. Um, or we just have to build up a herd immunity, which is everyone kind of needs to get it and then get over it. Um, that's, that's really what we need to wait for. It's, it's, uh, it's just a matter of time. We'll come out with the vaccine, perhaps. Uh, when I say we, it, I'm not part of that. There are smarter people out there that are doing that. But uh, someone will come out with a vaccine. There's research being done, and that'll help uh, hopefully accelerate the, the process by which we can kind of push past this. Uh, here's the question, though. Where is God in all of this? Right? You have this, uh, it's, it's called a pandemic, right? It's an epidemic that's affecting everyone. It's a huge uh, global disease. Where is God in all of this? Is, is this? is this issue, is this situation a problem he wants to solve? Or... Is this something that he's doing as an act of judgment? Right? Does he see this as a problem or is he using this as a solution to something else that he thought was a problem? Uh, some people are asking, is this the end times? How should we feel? You know, how should the people of God uh, respond to this? So let, let's talk about these kinds of questions, right? I want to start with just the understanding that God is more powerful than sickness and disease. If you've been in church long enough... Uh, you know that uh, you kind of get the the word omnipotent or almighty. You get you get those kinds of terms thrown around. So people know that God is more powerful. God is stronger, and God can overcome. God is not overwhelmed. Uh, and yet, it's it's interesting to see how uh, people in the church, people experienced believers, still are driven by fear and uh, and anxiety and panic in this situation. Uh, God has proven Himself to be more powerful than sickness throughout scripture. And the more you read it, the more you'll see that, that sickness and disease uh, plagues are under his command. Uh, there's no point where he's surprised by something and has to scramble to try to solve it. Uh, no, no sickness or disease, no, no pandemic, no plague has ever, uh, has, has ever caused him to worry. Um, there are numerous occasions where plagues and epidemics are used by God to display God's power. In Exodus uh, 7 through 12, chapter 7 through 12, uh, uh, God unleashes 10 plagues on Egypt uh, when Egypt uh, was in power and they had the Israelites as slaves. So Israel, uh, were the Israelites were slaves to Egypt and they were, they were all living in this small little area in Egypt called Goshen. And, uh, and then they were, they were brought out to do all the slave labor and stuff. Uh, there's, there, there's so many moments where, where Moses will go by the power of God and unleash these plagues on, uh, on Egypt. And some of those plagues were just environmental phenomena where he'll turn the Nile river to blood or, uh, just tons of frogs will come out of the, the river and, and invade the land, or there'll be a lot of gnats in the air, or there'll be flies, or there'll be locusts. Uh, there will be hail where there's fire kind of in the sky where the hail's coming down and uh, there, there's darkness that covers the land. So there are some plagues that are plagues that aren't like biological sicknesses or physiological sicknesses, excuse me, but, um, but they just kind of affect the, the environment and the world around. 
And then there are those plagues where where it does uh, affect uh, living things as sickness. There's a, a plague on livestock where all of Egypt's horses, donkeys, camels, herds, and flocks, all their livestock uh, just end up dying. There's another one where boils break out all over people. You know, just, there's this, like this fine dust that kind of covers over Egypt and then boils break out on their skin. And in all those plagues, Egypt suffered greatly, but none of the Israelites were affected. And that's important to realize that Egypt suffered greatly and none of God's people were affected. Uh, there are statements to let us know that. And we've got the verses up, but you can see them. Uh, Exodus 8.22 says, On that day, says God, uh, On that day I'll set apart the, the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, where the Israelites dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letters, I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. He's talking to Pharaoh. Uh, to, about Egypt. I'll put a division between Israel and Egypt. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. Now, notice God is distinguishing himself. He, he's not the sun god Ra. He's the God of Israel, Yahweh. And uh, and he makes that known. He's saying that I, you know, God is saying that he is the God above all other gods, the king above all other kings. He's, he's the name above all other names. There is no God like him. There is no other there's only one God, and that's uh, that's Yahweh God. In Exodus 9, 6, it says, The next day Yahweh did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but none of the livestock, not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. In Exodus 9, 25, you get a statement that says, The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Exodus 10.22 says, uh, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So you can see uh, in, in these first nine plagues especially, uh, there's a protection on God's people. There, uh, God was in absolute control of every plague. He knew exactly who it would target. And it targeted them, and then when, when the judgment was carried out, the, the plague was, uh, was taken away. It was relinquished. It was, you know, it, it was done away with. Uh, the tenth plague on Israel, I'm sorry, the tenth plague uh, affected Egypt and Israel. And uh, that tenth plague was the death of the firstborn in every household. And uh, the only difference there is that uh, Israel was not safe from this one except God gave them uh, a means by which they could be saved. And it was if they used the blood of a lamb, uh, which is a that's, a, that's a sign that points to Christ. Um, that's where Passover comes from, and that's talked about in Exodus 12. But uh, Israel was given a sign where if they put the blood of a lamb on their, their doorpost, um, then uh, the, the angel that was coming in and, and, uh, and slaying the firstborn in every household would pass over that house and, uh, and that household would be saved. Uh, they had instructions on how to, to uh, celebrate a Passover meal uh, and all that kind of stuff. But um, all of this shows the absolute power of God to wield such awesome power as a plague and to have absolute control in directing it and aiming it uh, exactly at, at who he was intending to judge. The point of that, uh, is to say that God is sovereign over disease. He's not threatened by sickness. He's not, uh, he's not panicked 
by the coronavirus. He's, he wasn't panicked by the Spanish flu epidemic or our seasonal flu. He's not panicked by SARS. He's not panicked by H1N1. He's not panicked by Ebola virus. He's not panicked by any of it. Uh, none of it is out of his control. None of it is overwhelming him. None of it is making him sweat. Uh, and that, that doesn't mean that we're immune. You know, as much as uh, 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 we're saying, we're looking at passages in uh, Exodus saying that uh, the people of God, Israel, was exempt from uh, from these plagues. That's because that was an, under a very particular circumstance where God was inflicting this disease on those who enslaved Israel. And so he had a specific target. Uh, don't go around thinking that because you're a Christian, you're just immune to diseases. That's that's not the takeaway on that. That means that if God wants to punish people with disease, he will. Uh, and if he wants to punish people with disease, it won't be his own people. That's that's not how it would work. I mean, there's a difference between him disciplining his people. But uh, in the New Testament era, that's not going to be the case. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But um, the situation is not out of God's hands. We don't need to be panicked. He's more powerful than the sickness, right? Now, there are times when God uses plagues uh, to discipline his people for disobedience. And in the Old Testament, uh, he would do that. He would, uh, he would unleash sickness on his people who would not repent of sin. Uh, I, I see, I'm distinguishing that from the New Testament era because uh, in the Old Testament, there was a direct correlation between someone's faithfulness and then the immediate earthly results. In the, in, in the New Testament era, the New Covenant, uh, everything has been paid for by Christ on the cross. And that kind of changes the whole rubric of, of how God interacts with his people. It's an age of grace and, uh, and things have changed. Well, let's start with just kind of looking at the Old Testament stuff. Okay, In Leviticus 26, God is talking about the consequences to Israel if people break their covenant with him. Right, if they if they just walk away from worshiping him, if they walk away from uh, from the commandments that say not to murder, not to uh, not to steal, not to give false testimony, etc., if they walk away from those commandments and if they ignore uh, his laws, then uh, Leviticus twenty six twenty five says, "I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant." And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Right? That's what uh, God is saying will happen to those who gather up in cities uh, if, uh, if the people become disobedient to the Lord. Now, he says he'll send pestilence. That's a fatal e epidemic plague. That's pestilence, right? God warned Israel that pestilence would be their consequence for refusing to repent of their sin. And there are actually a lot of places where, uh, where God warns of sickness and disease uh, as a consequence of sin. There were two occasions where God actually uh, used plagues to punish the sin of Israel. Uh, he doesn't just warn about it, but he actually uses them. Uh, the first one is in Numbers uh, 1649. He says, now those who, uh, it, it says in Numbers 1649, it says, those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. So you have a plague that, that, claimed almost 15,000 lives. And then in chapter 25, verse 9, uh, it says, Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So that one claims even more lives. Now, we have to always remember that God's warnings to Israel were uh, was put in place specifically for Israel, not for the whole world, and, uh, and then specifically to call them to repentance. 
so he these uh, these plagues would be unleashed and part of us might go like okay so then sicknesses seem like it's god's judgment but then there's there are stipulations to this first he gave warnings that there would be sickness if uh, if they broke his his covenant his the mosaic covenant uh, and then he gives a, a, another promise in 2 Chronicles 7.13 to the people of Israel. He says, uh, God says, When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or when I send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now that was part of the Old Covenant. That was part of the the contract that he made with Israel. He said, uh, when I send disease or something as as a discipline or as a punishment on the unfaithfulness of my people, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear it, and I'll forgive them, and I'll heal their land. Right? That's a, a direct uh, promise to the nation of Israel. Uh, that's a famous verse too, and a lot of people try to throw that into, into today and say that it applies to the United States of America or wherever they're living. This was part of the Mosaic Covenant. This was to the ethnic people of Israel. We're not living in Israel today. We're not in the promised land uh, under a national covenant with God. But the things that we can see in Scripture tell us that God is more powerful than sin, that he can... Uh, warn of sin, and then he could uh, he could bring out uh, he could warn of sin, he could warn uh, of sickness as a consequence, and then he could unleash sickness and pestilence as a consequence of sin, uh, and that can lead to death. It could lead to epidemics, pandemics, plagues. It can it can become widespread, and then at the same time, uh, the moment that he chooses, he can he can pull back the power of that sickness and take it away. Uh, he can end the the plague that's been unleashed. So sicknesses and, and plagues and pestilence, etc., uh, are tools that God can use to judge the world uh, if He wants to. If He if He wants to deal with the sin in the world, it's something that He can do. He's in absolute control of it. Uh, something to keep in mind, though, is that sickness is something that will not persist in eternity. Right? Uh, when when we hear about how God is going to establish a new heavens and a new earth for the rest of eternity in, in the last couple chapters of, of the book of, of Revelation, the last couple chapters of the Bible, uh, it says that there's no more sickness, no more death. And the reason for that is those are consequences of sin. So when sin is no more, sickness and death will be no more. And that, again, is just a, another reminder that God is in charge of, uh, of the, the powers of this world, of the... Uh, of the biological conditions um, that we that we experience, uh, all the all the sickness, all the disease and stuff, is not something that that worries him and panics him. It's something that he's in absolute control of. That's proven by Jesus. Uh, Jesus walks around and in uh, verses like Matthew nine thirty five or Matthew ten one or in Mark uh, three three ten, uh, you'll get statements that say that Jesus walked around healing every sickness and every disease. And you'll get these big sweeping statements that anyone who was sick with any kind of, uh, of disease or sickness, uh, he, they would bring the, the, uh, a sick person to him and he would heal them. Uh, people who were blind, who were deaf, who were mute, who were paralyzed, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd restore all of their functionality. Uh, even for people who were born blind, he, could, he can give them sight. Uh, his power over sickness, his power over physical uh, illness and, and ailment 
was absolute. He, he didn't have trouble. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't ever fail. There are times where he'll heal someone in stages, where he'll heal a blind man, and the blind man sees blurry things first, and then he sees clearly. But that, that too was intentional by Jesus in order to kind of demonstrate a theme that's going on of, of uh, people who are spiritually blind starting to get who he is and stuff and eventually seeing clearly that he's the Christ, the Messiah. So God is more powerful than sickness. God is more powerful than disease. And we're kind of left with two questions then. Is this virus a judgment from God? And then... Uh, I feel like it's a, it's a, a popular question, and then I kind of think it's a silly question, but is this the end times? Okay, let's start with the uh, the question, is this, a vir- is this virus a judgment from God? I can't say that I know. I'm going to say I don't know, but uh, I have an opinion on that, and it's just an opinion. So here's my opinion. I think God has always been extremely clear when he's going to judge something. He's always given warning before, and then the consequences carried out has always been exactly what he said would be carried out. And then when people repented, it would immediately be taken away. So uh, God gave warning. He was always clear on the warning on what would happen and why it would happen. And that's why people repented and that's why people worshipped. Uh, when these plagues would be unleashed, they'd worship God because they said it's exactly the way he said it was. There was no guess about it. There was no, is this a judgment from God? No one was asking that. They knew it was exactly the judgment from God because he said this would happen if we didn't uh, repent from this specific sin. Uh, because of that, I think that uh, we can look at this situation and there is no particular warning that God was giving uh, and there's no there's no actual target group. It's not like he's affecting just the nation of Egypt. Uh, the The sickness here is kind of affecting everyone, and it's not just it's not just that it's uh, um, affecting people who don't go to church. It's not that. Uh, the reason why churches are are, uh, are are not meeting is because even believers can transmit this disease and stuff. Uh, God accurately target, targeted the guilty and he, he accurately shielded the innocent. He did that because he is sovereignly powerful over sickness and disease. And uh, and it's, it's so important to know that if this is a judgment from God, he will never exact his judgment on someone who doesn't deserve it. Right? Think about that. Uh, look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 18, verse 20. God says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Right? That's a huge point to make, that the soul who sins shall die. The, righteous, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And God says he's not going to take uh, a punishment for, for someone's sin and throw it at a whole group of people that are innocent. That's a conversation that takes place between Abraham and, and, and God uh, over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Abraham's like, what if there are innocent people in there? And God says, if they're innocent people, I won't throw anything at this city. You know, and uh, Abraham goes, what if there are only like 20? What if there's only 10 innocent people in that huge city of thousands of people gathered together that are wicked? God says, if there are even 10, I will not uh, destroy the city. 
You get the same thing in Jeremiah. It says, like, if you find one righteous guy in the city, then I will relent from, from sending calamity. So, uh, so God's not going to throw some sickness out and, uh, and you know, try to, try to hit it like, a, like an area of effect and hopefully get some guilty people in there. That's, that's not how, uh, how sloppy his work is. Um, God will punish iniquity for, uh, to the one who's guilty, not, not to everyone around. Now, there are consequences from someone else's sin, like uh, that, you know, God will say, like, I'll visit the, the sins of the father upon the third and fourth generation. He'll say that in like the Ten Commandments and stuff. Uh, because if, if you are uh, raised by, by an abusive parent who, who sins against you, then there are consequences on that, and uh, and and you might you might you know receive that, and then you might propagate and, and uh, react and propagate some other kind of sinful pattern of living. Um, God says that he'll 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 visit those you know the consequences that are passed down. He'll look and see that someone else is uh, is sinning just like they learned from their parents or something like that, and uh, and he'll deal with that too. But he says that at the same time in the in the same in that same passage, he says he's going to re uh, reward and bless those who love him. Right, the the ones who hate him, he'll visit their iniquities, and the ones who love him, he'll he'll uh, he'll take care of them and bless them. So there's this idea that that God is not uh, just throwing out sicknesses and disease or judgments uh, blindly and just hoping that it'll hit some people that he wants to hit. That's not at all the way that that he's operating. Uh, no one can bear another person's punishment for sin. No one can, because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Right. In order to bear someone else's punishment, you would have to first not be guilty of sin. And so the only one that can actually do that, obviously, is Jesus. Right. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard that before. Jesus was without sin. Uh, you'll see that in uh, Hebrews 4.15. It says, uh, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right? So he's been tempted. He's been tempted just like we are in every way that we are and yet is without sin. That's why Jesus could take our place, receive our penalty. He's the only actual substitute for sin. The only, uh, the only acceptable propitiation for our sin. Right? He could uh, receive our penalty of sin uh, and give us his, his uh, standing of righteousness. Right? And it says that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, uh, for our sake, Jesus may, uh, God made Jesus to, uh, to be sin who knew no sin. Right, uh, the Father, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Right, Jesus, who was completely sinless, well, He took all the penalty of our sin. He, he, in uh, artistically speaking, He became sin and then was dealt with and punished and uh, and done away with. That was His death on the cross. That was a once and for all payment for sin. Now. Uh, Bringing it back to the question, then, uh, is is the COVID nineteen virus a judgment from God? Um, if COVID nineteen is a judgment from God, who is it for, and for what sin? And we wouldn't have answers to that, which is why, in my personal opinion, I think that it is not wise for us to just jump at, at sickness and say that must be a judgment from God. Uh, I don't think it's it's wise for us to uh, to look at a uh, an epidemic and immediately think that everyone who's getting it is guilty uh, of something that, you know, collectively guilty of a specific sin that God is punishing. Um, that's, uh, I mean, unless scripture warrants that kind of thinking, which it doesn't, 
but uh, the demographic tells us that the virus isn't isolated to a specific group that's guilty against something that God has clearly warned against. God has not talked about this particular virus and saying that that will be the consequence of any specific sin. Uh, it's my personal opinion that we should not assume that it originated as a direct judgment from God. So then is this the end times? Uh, after all, the, the spread of pandemic sicknesses and diseases is part of the end times. That's what it says in Luke 21, 11. It says that in Revelation 11, 6. And you see that all throughout Revelation 16. Um, is this the end times? The answer, no. Uh, we are not in the tribulation. We uh, we can refer to lots of different passages. You, you can go to our, our series on 1 Thessalonians or our series in Revelation on that. But we are not in the tribulation at this time. The tribulation, which is like the seven-year period of God's wrath being poured out on the earth, uh, the tribulation will begin with rapture, where believers are removed from the earth. So then you really don't need to worry about it. Um, it's talked about in Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. But even if, even if rapture did not happen right before tribulation, even if you think rapture happened in the is going to happen in the middle of tribulation or, or at the end, or even if you're like rapture isn't a real thing, it, you know, let's pretend that rapture didn't happen in the beginning of, of tribulation. Still remember that God always shielded his people from his wrath. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 said that we are protected. We will be rescued from the coming wrath. Uh, that's kind of the whole point of, of that letter to the Thessalonians, to say that God's wrath is coming, but we will be shielded from it. Uh, if you trust in Jesus and if you trust in his death on the cross, if you trust that he paid for all your sins, uh, you don't have to wonder whether or not a judgment of God is going to claim you. Uh, God's wrath on man's sins might come as a plague, but it would not come to punish you for something he's already paid for. If he paid for your sins, he's not going to make you pay for your sins, right? If, uh, if ever there are consequences for your sin, it's to train you or discipline you to be holy, not to punish you and to, to exact his wrath and anger on you. That was fully dealt with on Jesus on the cross. Jesus paid it. You don't have to, right? Just as God shielded Israel from the plagues on Egypt... God shields his people from his wrath. That's the lesson that's given. So let's kind of uh, bring this down to, to a landing point here, uh, especially now with our communities acting out of fear and, uh, and, uh, and trying to figure out you know, what's going to happen. And there's confusion and there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, concern and, uh, and anxiety. This is the time where we as God's people need to stand strong, right? To be strong and courageous. Uh, the Bible over 300 times will tell us, take courage, do not fear. It'll give us an equivalent exhortation like that. 300 times in the Bible, always directed to God's people, not to be afraid, not to be panicked. Uh, it's a resounding theme for anyone who trusts in Jesus, especially who trusts in Jesus, not just people in the Old Testament era, but if, you, if you've seen the work of Christ on the cross and are now uh, a complete in your understanding of how God has been redeeming people uh, through a plan that's spanned history, uh, especially now if you know that Jesus has been the, the culmination of God's plan and will come to consummate his victory, uh, if you know that, then certainly do not fear. 
take courage. Uh, we should cert- we should definitely take reasonable steps to avoid exposure to sickness and to protect and provide for your families, etc. You know, we're not immune to diseases, but it doesn't mean to be panicked and uh, and uh, and so scared. You know, we shouldn't be in terror over this thing. Uh, if ever we're to fear anything, it's to fear the Lord. But not, not this. Uh, the world is amassing and hoarding supplies out of fear. You see it on the news. You see it in articles on the internet and all that stuff. You see them uh, running through supermarkets. You see, the, uh, you know, Costco and, and every supermarket near your house is just uh, is filled with long lines. And then the shelves are, are pretty much empty for things like hand sanitizers and uh, paper towels and stuff. Um, think of, uh, of how this is the way the world is reacting to sickness uh, because of how afraid of death they are. And ask yourself whether or not in a moment like this, in a moment of crisis or in a a moment of testing, whether or not we as God's people are supposed to act just like the rest of the world, or if we're called to a hope that will display a completely different understanding of reality. God is not calling you to be scared God is not calling you to fight your neighbor for shopping supplies and for groceries. God is calling you to to stability and support and strength to provide that for the people around you. Someone who's panicked and someone who is afraid should find that they are brought back to a stable understanding of reality when they're next to God's people. There should, be an, uh, there should be a grounding that takes place where we give them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and say that this thing, even if the sickness were to claim your life, would not be the end of your story if you trust in Jesus. Right? If, if you're going to try to make the most of this life and deny God, then sickness, yeah, is a threat. But if, if you belong to the Lord, sickness is, is a chapter, maybe, in the story. But that's, that's not the way the story ends, and that, that's not... That's not the, the, the point and purpose and principle. That's not the lesson that we take away. The, uh, the manner in which you handle this situation as God's people will demonstrate whether or not your faith is in health and supplies or if it's in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Take courage. Do not fear. This isn't the first threatening disease that has surged around the world, nor will it be the last. Instead of resorting to panic, as God's people, let's resort to prayer. Your response to COVID-19 is a direct expression of where you place your faith, hope, and trust. And so this is a time where we should uh, ask God to let his will be done through us and to let a moment like this where people are in crisis and are afraid, they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And let's go in and provide it. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and uh, and then we're going to put up two prompts on the screen for you to meditate on. Uh, after I close, then uh, th- those prompts will come up, and just spend some time praying through those things. And when you're done, you know, take take as long as you need. It'll, it'll be up for for a decent amount of time, and then uh, when you're done, feel free to log off, close your browser, get on with your day. But uh, no matter what what's going on in the world around you, always remember that your trust is in the Lord. Uh, that that uh, sickness and disease is not something that God is overwhelmed by 
It's not something that, that makes him nervous. It's something that is under his absolute sovereign control. And so we can turn to him and, uh, and speak to him and, and uh, request his strength and aid in this time. Okay, let's pray. Father, what to say? We are in a, in a situation of testing where the whole world is, uh, is starting to panic and there's confusion running about. People are making odd decisions. Uh, people are treating one another with, uh, with uh, fear and hatred. And Lord, we don't want to be that. We don't want to uh, react to the situations in life the same way the world does because we know who you are. We know that you are sovereign and in control. And we know that you are Savior. God, we pray that you would just uh, watch over our hearts in this time and, and anchor us. Give us strength and stability that we might provide support to the people around us. We pray, God, that, uh, that you would calm the fears that arise in our heart that are instilled by, by the atmosphere around us. Lord, the, the warfare in our spirits comes not just from our flesh and not just from the devil, but from the world. And seeing everyone panic and seeing everyone hoard stuff makes us feel like we should be doing the same or else maybe we're missing something. And that's not what we want, Lord. Give us sober judgment. Give us peace that transcends understanding. Help us to responsibly take care of our, our own hygiene as a, uh, an act of love uh, and stewardship so that we don't carry uh, sickness to our neighbor and so we don't make ourselves uh, negligently vulnerable to it. But Lord, more than anything, we, we pray that uh, we would have opportunities uh, in this time to minister to people who know that we belong to Jesus. There are people uh, that we might see or, or speak with or talk to online or whatever. There are people that we'll communicate with uh, who might not have our disposition of faith. And so uh, we pray that we take hold of the opportunity to share it and to let them know that we're not threatened uh, by what happens in this life. Uh, we're not threatened by, uh, by the, the rumors of, of sickness and, uh, and the, the possibilities that are rolling around in our minds. Uh, but we want to respond accordingly to what we know to be true, to look at the facts and uh, to take the right kind of action that's appropriate uh, to the level of threat. And more than anything, uh, we hope, Lord, that we would communicate to the people around us our hope in Jesus and our trust in, uh, in eternity. Thank you for, for Christ who, who paid it all on the cross. Thank you that the lessons that we've learned in the Old Testament about sickness and disease tell us that you're more powerful than it and also that you use it, that you have used it in the past to exact a judgment on a specific sin that you've warned against on a specific group of people. And when your purpose was done, you've, you've pulled it back and taken it away. Lord, we pray that our understanding of Scripture would only illuminate our hope and our security and our, uh, and our peace in you. Uh, in the midst of, of all of this, all the, the chaos and all the, the fear and stuff, we pray that we'd be grounded in Jesus, in the gospel, in your word. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.